Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles, arms out wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise by your power. We will go by your spirit. We are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk in lions. Good morning. Good morning. It is the 29th of July, 2022. It's a Friday. Good morning. Um, I'm Carmen LaBerge. This is Faith Radio. I want to lead off with the news out of Kentucky this morning and encourage everyone to be to be praying for our neighbors there. At least eight people um, are known to have died. Hundreds of homes have been damaged following catastrophic flooding in eastern Kentucky yesterday. So rescuers are working around the clock. Um, and as uh, the light is just now beginning to dawn, people are being plucked from the roofs of their homes um, and rescuers are you know, more able to access difficult to reach areas um, now that there is at least the, uh, the twilight of a, of a dawning new day. Floodwaters washed out bridges, wiped out power lines um, and sent uh, lots of folks just literally running for their lives. And so um, we want to be we want to be praying for the people who um, whose whereabouts are currently unknown. I don't like the word unaccounted for. I don't, I don't like it. I don't like hearing it. I don't like um, what that calls to mind. I recognize that when we're talking about search and rescue, we're talking about people for whom we are desperately searching, but they're not unaccounted for. Like God knows where they are. God knows their current circumstance. God is with them. And so if you're feeling today in some way unaccounted for, if like by the standard of the world, I want you to hear this today. You are accounted for by God. He knows, he knows where you are. He knows who you are. Um, he knows the circumstances that you're enduring right now. He knows the number of hairs on your head. And if you've lost all your hair to chemo, he knows that too. Um, so I just, I just want to Every time I hear that word in um, in any kind of news broadcast related to any kind of natural disaster or catastrophe, um, I just I just want to remind everybody that people are not unaccounted for, um, not in terms of a supernatural worldview. Today's growing your faith verse of the day comes from the book of Hebrews, chapter ten. I commend uh, to you uh, reading the entirety of the chapter. Uh, that this is drawn from, because as we discussed yesterday, context matters. So they were going to read verses 24 and 25. We're going to pluck those out of the 10th chapter of the book of Hebrews. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. So beginning with the end in mind there, the day of his return is drawing near. Um, do you receive that as like a threat or as a uh, the most incredible anticipatory joy one could ever imagine? The day of his return is drawing near. I hope you hear in my mind that I am a come Lord Jesus, Maranatha kind of girl. Come Lord Jesus. like. But I also recognize that the Lord lingers. He tarries in order that more people might 
come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, that when Christ returns, they would not be afraid of judgment, but that they would be um, anticipating that, that God would find them, that Jesus would find them busy, laboring, doing what? Acts of love and good deeds, as is described in these verses of uh, of Hebrews chapter 10. So let us be thinking of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works today. Those are um, juxtaposed somewhat, um, acts of love, ways in which we would love one another, and then good works, those things that we might tangibly do in sacrificial, in sacrificial service to others. Um, and we talked yesterday about the essential principle of understanding a verse of Scripture in its context. You and I cannot just pluck a verse out and make it mean something for us or, you know, uh, there, There is no what does this mean to me application of the Bible. It is what does the author of the Bible mean, and then what does that mean to me? Um, and so uh, let us be mindful of that. And then today, let us be mindful of uh, of the principle in terms of the way we study the Scriptures. Let us, be princi- uh, let us be reminded of the principle of what else does the Bible say about this same subject, right? So it's it's called multiple attestation. It's the way that we compare Scripture to Scripture. Um, and so think of all of the places where you know um, that the Bible talks about good works. Maybe it is uh, Matthew chapter 5, uh, when Jesus says, in the same way, let your light shine before others, that they would do what? See your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Maybe it's from Ephesians chapter 2. Um, verses 8 to 10, um, recognizing that we're not saved through our good works, but we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. Maybe it's 1 Corinthians um, 16, 14. Let all that you do be done in love. The doing there is the good works. The how do you do it? You do it in love. James chapter 2 is a really good chapter to read on this topic. On and on and on. What does the Bible have to say about good works? And what does the Bible say about acts of love? So first up this morning, we're going to talk with uh, Dr. Bruce Ashford. We're going to talk about the competing voices in the culture today, what we hear um, out of Western philosophy and how it really does um, destroy the way that we are intended to think about reality and the things of God. So that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. What are you thinking about and how are you thinking about what you're thinking about? We're going to talk with Dr. Bruce Ashford. He's a research fellow at the Kirby Lang Center. You can find what we're discussing today at BruceAshford.net. Bruce, good morning. Good morning, Carmen. Good to hear from you. Good morning. Yeah. So um, I am thinking about the things that I am thinking about through a lens, through a worldview, through things that I have heard and overheard, through the generation and the time in which I live, through my social location, on and on and on. And there are these philosophies at work that are that go unseen and unnamed most of the time, but they're working on me. They're working on my mind. They're working on my worldview, and they're very destructive. So I would love to talk with you today about the piece you have posted at, Bruce, at BruceAshford.net 
um, footnotes to Lucifer, the seven most destructive philosophers in Western history. Let's talk about it. Um, where do you want to dive in? Let's start with Lucifer. Yeah, let's start with Lucifer because, you know, right, he's the most destructive. Yeah, so if you're out there right now in uh, Radio Land, you're, first of all, you're listening to the best radio show in America right now. This is my <laughs> favorite show, and so I love being a guest on it. And uh, one of the things we want to remember out of the doctrine of creation is that when God created the world, he did it with his word. Um, he spoke uh, and, and uh, called forth something from nothing, and then after that, he shaped the something into the world that we now see. And he ordered it in a particular way, and every time he got finished with the creative act, he said, and it was good. It was good. It was good. It was good. It was very good. So this could be viewed as, since God spoke the world into existence, um, the, 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 the order of the world could be viewed as God's thesis for the world. In other words, God said, I ordered the world this way so that humans can flourish. So when Satan came along and tempted Adam and Eve and said, did God really say, <clears throat> are you really going to die? That was an anti-thesis. That was a mm. thesis against God's thesis. And Lucifer is the first, Lucifer is the first uh, and by far the most destructive philosopher in history. I don't have him on the list. I just have him as the forefather of all the bad philosophers. And uh, his antithesis is active everywhere in the world. It's active in every person's heart. And it's definitely active in philosophy departments. <clears throat> we don't often... Um think about this. We don't think about the thinker that has suggested the antithesis. We don't think about the, I mean, you know, these, the ways in which we end up with anti-Christian or anti-Christ thinking. We don't often think about the thinkers who became the philosophers who then lead us to think in these ways. So when we come back, we're going to run through the seven most destructive philosophers in Western history, and we're going to pick up with Plato. That's up next. Not Plato like you shape and form it, but Plato. And that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. We're talking with Dr. Bruce Ashford, and we'll be right back. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. Continuing our conversation with Dr. Bruce Ashford, you can find what we're talking about at BruceAshford.net. All right, Bruce, let's run through them. Talk with us about the seven most destructive philosophers in Western history. Okay, so the first is Plato. Plato is also one of the best. He's on the good list and the bad list. And he's on the bad list because of one teaching in particular, that Plato believed that the visible world is inferior and even kind of bad, and that the invisible world is good. And the reason this is bad is because Plato's philosophy is right, then Jesus took on inherently bad human flesh. And uh, the, the way that Plato's philosophy has negatively affected the church is some people believe that the visible world that we see right now is somehow inferior to the invisible world, and that's not true. 
God created everything and everything is good. And, and the, 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 the unfortunate payoff of his philosophy is a lot of Christians think that the like bodily things that they do in this life, their vocation, you know, these sort of, sort of things don't really matter. The only thing that really matters is getting to heaven one day. So Plato's a bad guy. He's a guy named Machiavelli, terrible guy. And uh, the reason he's so bad, well, he was one of the main influencers of Hitler and Stalin and so forth. Machiavelli argued he was a political leader, political philosopher. He argued that political leaders uh, should discard the Christian law, the Christian moral law, and just operate on what gives them the most power. So it's fine for a leader to be cruel. It's fine for a leader to lie to his people, to be devious, to break his promises, and so forth. Um, so that's, pra- through- that's, that's like secular pragmatism. And I would say, you know, I would have been tempted in the past to describe somebody as Machiavellian, um, and I would not have thought of that as secular pragmatism, but it is. And I, that is really – this was really helpful for me to to set out in terms of my own thinking. So thank you for that. Um, the next guy is Hobbes, but not in the spirit of Calvin and Hobbes, or maybe well, in the spirit of Calvin and Hobbes, and I have missed that. Believe it or not, Calvin and Hobbes is named after John Calvin the theologian and Thomas Hobbes the bad philosopher. Um, it's never advertised in the cartoon, but there is a relation. Um, Thomas Hobbes, uh, to summarize to the extreme, believed that the government um, – basically he made the government into a god. And uh, in his book, The Leviathan, um, he basically believed that you had to have a, an all-powerful government, government in order to restrain the evil impulses of the people. And in his, uh, his first book that he published, there was a photo on the front, an image on the front. And it was a torso of a government leader. And on the torso of the leader, you had hundreds of people painted, the backs of their heads, looking toward the leader. And it was meant to be the same view that you would get if you walked in the back of a cathedral, hundreds Mm. of people facing the altar of Christ. So Hobbes Mm. is a bad guy. And we have seen people worship their nation. I mean, we see Vladimir Putin. Or their their tyrant, or their tyrannical leader. Yeah. And we have people, and we have tyrannical leaders who demand that. Like, you stand there and you clap for me as long as I happen to be standing here, right? I mean, that's, yeah. So let's talk about Descartes. um, uh, And and let's remind everyone that um, there are lots of S's in this French philosopher's name that aren't pronounced. Yeah, if you look at his name, it looks like Descartes. But it's Descartes. Uh, he's French, and um, uh, you know Descartes is uh, his view is he was unhelpful in two ways. Number one, he affirmed Plato's denigration of the material world, and we still see kind of a denigration of the material world in the transgender movement right now and transhumanism movement. <clears throat> but the world isn't predetermined according to a good design given to us by God. It's just material world. We can do what, with it whatever we please. And the other way Descartes was bad is that he separated the, the, the body and the soul so much that, in his view, the body and the soul don't really come together. But in the Bible's teaching, body and soul can be separated, but they're meant to be together. They'll be separated briefly if we die and our bodies are disintegrate and our souls are in heaven. But in the end, they'll be reunited with the body. So that's why Descartes was bad. All right. And then um, we have a name that is going to be really familiar to a lot of people, even though I'm not sure that in, in the same way that I'm not sure people have thought about Machiavelli as a philosopher, I'm not sure we've thought about Karl Marx as a philosopher, but that's where you put him. Yeah, I mean, so 
Karl Marx's uh, philosophy had so has been so absolutely devastating to economies and to freedoms around the world that 40 or 50 years ago we thought it was dead. But mm-hmm. Marxism, has, Marxism has made a comeback. Basically, new forms of Marxism, critical theory, is uh, built off of Marx. It's a modified type of Marxism. <clears throat> and, you know, Marx basically created a political ideology that was meant to be a substitute for the Christian religion. And it's got a narrative that par- parallels the Bible's narrative, only there's no God. And in his view, if Marxist ideology works in a nation, what will end up happening is we'll have a utopia and evil will go away. And so Marx's, you know, his thought was destructive in so many ways that we would probably need about a three-week radio set to finish <laughs> off. Well, and we might lose listeners in the meantime. So let's uh, let's move to um, the next person on your list of the seven most destructive philosophers in Western history. And remember, we are talking with Dr. Bruce Ashford, and you can find what we're talking about at bruceashford.net. Who's up next? So the next guy is Augusta Comte. He's not as well known as some of the other philosophers, but he's an extraordinary influential. Now, he was a French philosopher also, and he was an atheist. And we won't talk about a lot of aspects of this philosophy, except that he tried to found a religion that he called the religion of humanity. <clears throat> and his, his religion of humanity was an atheistic religion in which you have all sorts of rituals that replace Christian ritual. And the main tenets of this is that he believed that evil doesn't come from within the human heart, that evil comes because of the formation of nation states and uh, so forth. And so he wanted a world without borders. He figured if we got rid of a world without borders, we wouldn't have wars between nations, and we wouldn't have competing things happening within nations, and we would have a global unity and global goodwill. And so it's very silly of you, and uh, you know, uh, it would be absolutely an unmitigated disaster if we had all uh, power into the hands of a few people and they ruled the entire globe. Mm-hmm. And yet that's definitely what some people want. All right. And then who is number seven on the list? He's also a French philosopher, and I'm not going to try to pronounce his name. No, I do want to say the French have contributed some good uh, things to this world. Crepes, for example. Uh, I'm not going to list tutus among them, but uh, some people would. Perrier. But many of their philosophers have been pretty bad guys. And Foucault is one Lots of them. Lots of French, like, right? Like, there, there's a lot of French people on this list. Well, you know... Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, there are. I, I mean, and, you know, the French Revolution was an atheistic revolution uh, mm-hmm. about the same time as the American Revolution. It was absolutely destructive, massive bloodshed everywhere. And uh, some of the many of the philosophers that have risen since then are, are atheistic. And Foucault was he was gay and his philosophy focused on the, on the different discourses that human beings have and the language that we've created and how. The discourses we've created and the norms that we have in society and the language that we use put certain people at a disadvantage and makes them feel not normal. And uh, prisoners, for example, people who are mentally retarded, people who are gay. But he, what he wanted to do <coughs> is to tear down all of the systems of power. Uh, you know, he knew we couldn't do that, but that's what he thought would be uh, best. And Foucault's work has been very influential on critical race theory, queer theory, um, uh, intersectionality, you know, and a lot of these new forms of critical theory that are constantly analyzing the way we talk and finding hidden racism, hidden homophobism, hidden hidden this and hidden that. Um, and it ends up being a very cynical view of society where uh, you are supposed to view everyone that you meet cynically and view your own society cynically. There's no note of hope. 
There's no note of hope. All right. Well, because we want to certainly leave people with a note of hope, where where do you land um, when we start talking about worldview and we start talking about um, philosophers who influence us in ways that, you know, frankly, we don't see um, because the philosophers have influenced the educators who have taught us or the people who have um, under whose preaching we have sat. But we need to know these philosophers and their philosophies so that we can unmask what we're hearing and seeing in the politics of the day or from the pulpits of the day or from uh, or from the lecterns or in books. Right. I mean, there's a reason for you and I to be talking about this so that I can see beneath the surface of what other people are saying and advocating. Yeah. You know, when Paul says beware of vain philosophies, you can't beware of beware unless you're aware and so this doesn't mean don't ever read philosophers, don't ever taint your mind by reading them. That's ridiculous. That's absurd. You can't beware unless you're aware. I mean, Paul's mm-hmm. sermon in Acts 17 quoted poets and pagan poets, they poke at pagan philosophers and so forth. And so we want to be aware of the philosophies that are bad. And we also want to, um, <clears throat> you know, encourage philosophies that are built out of a Christian worldview. And the good news is this, that one day Christ will return and he will set the world to rights. And when he does so, Lucifer will be defeated once and for all. And one of the things that will be defeated are the philosophies that bring themselves, bring themselves against the Lord Christ. Mm. I love that. All right. Thank you for helping us bring um, every thought captive to Christ. Thank you for helping us um, tear down those things that set them up, uh, set themselves up in opposition to Christ. You are um, helping us think about what we're thinking about, and we really appreciate that. That's Dr. Bruce Ashford. You can find him and what we talked about today at bruceashford.net. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge, and this is Faith Radio. So when we uh, when we talk about and we think about what we believe and why we believe it, it's always fun to talk with folks who were once not believers, right? People who actually remember when they believed not. Mary Jo Sharp is um, a person that we have talked with um, about a, a video series that is available now called The Dark Room, uh, asking these dark room faith conversations. You might remember that, and you can check that out at darkroomfaith.com. And I invited her to come back to talk about one of her books. And this book is Why I Still Believe, A Former Atheist Reckoning with the Bad Reputation Christians Give a Good God. So when you think about the reputation that God has in the culture today, and when you think about um, why people honor God not, it's often because of the ways in which we Christians have portrayed God misrepresented him, mischaracterized him, failed to actually um, love people in the way that we have experienced the love of God ourselves in Christ Jesus. Um, it's, it's because we have not responded to people in the same ways that God has extended his grace to us that some people have then turned away from him. And so we're going to talk with Mary Jo Sharp. This is a recorded conversation. I had the opportunity um, to have this conversation with her a few weeks ago. And I like to tell you that in advance because sometimes you guys text me during the conversation and say, ask her this or ask her that. Um, I can't ask her this or ask her that in addition to what I've already asked her. Um, and so I just thought I would let you know that in advance. Mary Jo Sharp on Why I Still Believe, a former atheist reckoning 
with the bad reputations, with the bad reputation Christians give a good God. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Mary Jo Sharp is back with us today. We had a prior conversation with her um, about the Dark Room series, so we're going to remind ourselves about that in our conversation. But today, um, I really want to spend time talking with Mary Jo about her book, Why I Still Believe, A Former Atheist Reckoning with a Bad Reputation Christians Give a Good God. Mary Jo, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Hey, thanks for having me back on. Absolutely. So, um, you know, the world, I think, is full of, uh, you know, deconversion stories, stories of people abandoning the Christian worldview, um, disappointed uh, over one thing or another. Your um, your book, Why I Still Believe, is so timely, so personal, and so right. So talk about, you know, sort of where this grew out of and then invite people into the conversation. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it grew out of the fact that um, I didn't grow up in the church. I grew up in, so it was sort of like an atheistic upbringing. And um, I'm going to do this really short. So as I came into the church, I was really excited because I, I thought that I had found like this great place of fellowship and, you know, where I was going to be able to explore the goodness, truth, and beauty of the God that I was seeking and as I come into the church, like immediately from my very first day, I experienced judgmentalism. I experienced a lot of what I didn't expect to be um, sort of the conversations, the attitudes and the patterns in the church congregation. And that held true throughout my early years of Christianity. I saw a lot of, a lot of what people are talking about, which is I saw a lot of hypocrisy. And that really caused me to have serious doubt about what I had committed to. And uh, I knew I had had a real experience with Jesus. I knew I had trusted in Jesus, but at the same time, I didn't have answers for things like, well, how do I know that the Bible's real? And why do I say Jesus rose from the dead? And then when coupling that with this just shock at what I was seeing in the church all around me of a lack of sincere commitment to the ideals professed in the Bible, also without, that's sort of naive. I had this sort of naive understanding of what I was getting myself into. That sort of combination um, really threw me and it caused me to doubt my faith and to begin to ask really hard questions about what it is I had committed to. So that's the premise for like how I got into uh, for this book and how I got into my field of like studying apologetics and all this. So I'll confess that when I started reading um, why I still believe I mean, I didn't get very far before I literally, I just wanted to like apologize you, apologize to you um, for the behavior of the pastor's wife on the first Sunday that you went to church after becoming a Christian. I wanted to like, I could feel it coming and I I wanted to rush in and I wanted to protect you. The damage was done pretty quickly. Um, I, you know, you had this, what I think is reasonable, totally reasonable, joyful expectation of what being a part of a community of believers was going to be like, and um, you never got a kumbaya moment. Like, right? It was, it was <laughs> absolutely it was pretty quickly not that. Um, and so, you know, I I just wanted to say, like, on behalf of the body, I'm sorry, and I find myself like wanting to say that preemptively to people who joyfully come to Jesus today. And then they go to church. 
<laughs> right? That's that's uh, part of why I say like I had that naive expectation that I was about to find like all these really good people because um, I didn't I didn't quite understand uh, that these were going to be sinners. Yeah, yeah, and that it was, and that even um, the church is um, a place where worldly expectations um, are very, very powerfully real. Um, so the, yeah. the the conversation about hypocrisy in the book is really helpful. Um, I think that the experience that you had and share reminds me so much of what many pastors and their wives share in terms of their experience of maybe going to a new congregation that first or second Sunday, the criticisms just start to roll. Uh, you know, people who are outside the church probably don't know that worship wars are still a real thing, but you experienced that as well in terms of, um, you know, what you and your husband experienced, uh, you know, as he moved into ministry. So this isn't just an experience that you had one time. It wasn't just a one-off. Uh, these sheep bite, as one of my friends in ministry used to say. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, um, first of all, I, I didn't acknowledge and want to thank you for what you said about the uh, preemptive apology, because I think that's really important acknowledging people who have been hurt by the church uh, in this whole conversation, especially about people who are deconstructing. So thank you. I appreciate that. And secondly, I really appreciate that you brought up, this is not me having a one-off. Yeah, this is not like a one-off experience. This is definitely I'm discussing patterns of behaviors in the church that I saw were antithetical to what I was reading in the Bible. And it wasn't just antithetical because that's where I could say, maybe I'm a bit naive because people are sinners, but it was a lack of um, humility and trying to change. Like we we're supposed to trying to be, try to become Christ-like. So there's supposed to be remorse for the vices that we hold. There's supposed to be some like tw in 20 years, you should see a change in a believer's life, you know, in dealing with some of their issues, something, you know, and that's what I'm talking about is I, I sincerely saw a lack of remorse. I, I saw more of bearing down into vices and using the Bible to, you know, buttress those, those vices. Mm -hmm. Well, and so that you don't think if you're listening right now that Mary Jo and Carmen are just beating up um, on the body of Christ. Uh, we're active church people. We are very, very committed <laughs> to the life of local congregations. We're very committed to the robust life of um, the Church of Jesus Christ locally and globally, every part of it. So this is a conversation about building up the body. But in order for the body to be built up, each and every part has to actually be functioning and working properly. And so it does get down into a conversation about personal discipleship, maturity, immaturity. Am I um, pursuing uh, the continual growth and conformity uh, with who Christ is, cooperating with the Holy Spirit at work within me, bringing me into greater, greater conformity um, with Christ. I appreciate it, Mary Jo. And let's take a very brief break, and then let's come back and talk about this. I really appreciated when you um, you spent some time reflecting uh, about uh, your own like emotional rebellion when you got to the place where you recognized, you know what, there's also something going inside on inside of me that I want to have Christ address. So we're talking with Mary Jo Sharp. We're talking about her book, Why I Still Believe, A Former Atheist Reckoning with a Bad Reputation Christians Give to a Good God. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of what we do on live radio every day. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio, tons of free resources just waiting for you at MyFaithRadio.com. Right now, we're inviting you to share your Faith Radio story. 
What do you love about Faith Radio? What do you love about Mornings with Carmen? How has this program changed the way you think or the way you live, the way you engage others in the conversations of the day? We really do want to hear from you. Your story could encourage someone else and certainly glorify God. So share what you love about Faith Radio by calling 877-933-2484 and leave us a message today. Again, thanks for listening. All right, rejoining our conversation with Mary Jo Sharp. She is an apologist. Um, She's very active in apologetics ministries. She is a former atheist. Her book is Why I Still Believe. Um, And we're having a conversation today um, not only about the challenges that face us in the life of the church when fellow believers resist growing up into Christ in every way, um, but also the emotional rebellion we can experience ourselves. So Mary Jo, will you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, definitely. And uh, so when I when I came into the church, I sort of had naive re- expectations. I'm an idealist and a perfectionist, and so I I really had this idea of what the church should be. It should be actively conforming to Christ, and I, I'm very rigid in that. And I'm, you know, I I would say a little Pharisaical in it. Like I should see this demonst- demonstrably in people's lives. And so through my own vice, through my own, um, you know, desire to have that sort of idealism and for people to live it out no matter what, that's where I began to sort of uh, have some disconnection or rebellion myself and that my expectations of the church were not realistic. They They were setting the bar so high nobody could reach them. And I had to acknowledge that in my journey, like that's uh, that's not going to happen. Uh, people are dealing with their own vices and struggles. And, and this is a lifelong thing for them as well. So for me to expect them to be, you know, 100% Christ-like right now was very unrealistic of me. And I wouldn't, I, I'm using hyperbole, but, you know, just for the effect there of what kind of what was going on in my mind. So I was starting to reject them based on something that wasn't realistic. And that was problematic. So about half of the book are these incredibly uh, personal, penetrating stories from your own spiritual journey, from being an atheist to, um, you know, not just being a Christian, but being a Christian who is very, very well equipped um, in apologetics. And then um, the portion of the book where you do um, pursue and then supply the answers to some very difficult questions regarding the Christian faith, questions that you were asking and um, discovered answers to as well. So I, I appreciate that there are these, you know, it's kind of two parts to the book. One um, one reviewer said uh, of, of your book, um, this is really for readers who feel stuck between the beauty of God's great story and the ugliness of the hypocrisy in the church. Um, and this reviewer said, you know, this this really for me was an experience of hope. I feel like that's Mary Jo, you know, it, that kind of sums up your ministry. <laughs> I mean, that that sort of is the, the confident Christianity approach that you offer. Um, talk with us about the beauty of God and the beauty of God's great story and the importance of beauty in your own experience. Yeah, that's that's part of uh, what drew me to God. It was that as a atheist, my parents took me to a lot of you know, musicals and to the, they were very active in the arts. I'm a musician myself. And so I saw this, um, this incredible beauty in the world through nature and through what humans were doing through, you know, the study of space, you know, outer space is, is beautiful. And I was wondering what all this was for. And that's part of like finding the artist behind all of this beauty 
uh, that designer there, that started to explain things to me. And it drew me to God. It really drew me to him that there was this grand artist behind all this beauty, that it wasn't for nothing. It wasn't meaningless, that there was, there was meaning and, you know, very deep meaning and purpose behind all the things that I was seeing that very much drew me to God. But then when I got into the church, I found uh, a bunch of rationalism and, you know, like, um, just knowledge based learning about God. And I saw this sort of, and that's not bad. I don't want to, you know, cause I'm an apologist and a professor, but I saw this distinct lack of attention to the beauty of God, to aesthetic enjoyment of God. What, what am I living for? What am I supposed to enjoy in this life? What is good in this life? And that was one of the things that had drew me to God. And then I saw a lack of attention to it. And I didn't even know that was going on. What really clued me in on it was the way that people viewed women's bodies as this like um, very bad thing that it needs to be covered. It needs to be taken care of. It needs to be controlled. And, you know, that it's a woman's beauty causes lust rather than a woman's beauty would be reflective of the beauty of God himself. That, that was the one that really sort of highlighted, hey, what's going on here for me? It's so good. So, um, Mary Jo, in addition to this book, Why I Still Believe, um, Living in Truth, Confident Conversation in a Conflicted Culture, Why Do You Believe That?, um, which is a extended faith conversation just, uh, you know, on the topic of why, and then Defending the Faith, um, Come Let Us Reason, which is, uh, you know, just a book of wonderful essays on Christian apologetics, The Defense of the Bible, um, resilient faith, one of my favorites. I, I feel like you um, you put out into print what God is impressing upon you, and I really, I really appreciate that. Ah, oh, thank you. That's that's one of the things that I, I try to do is not just put out arguments where I keep everybody at arm's length from who I am personally, but I try to bring people into my story and how the arguments affect me very personally. Yeah, that that comes through. Um, I this book, um, why I still believe you. You're really transparent. Um, I appreciate that. I think that for people who imagine that Christians are, you know, arm's length, and we're always, you know, pointing out the wrong in others, and we're never sort of pulling back the curtain on our own challenges and lives, um, you do that. And so, thank you for your willingness um, to allow others to come so close and. And, and draw so near. It's um, it's very helpful. Um, want to um, before we run out of time. Want to just find out how the Dark Room Faith video series is going. Uh, you guys will remember we talked with Mary Jo on a prior occasion about this project, darkroomfaith.com. Maybe um, I should ask it this way: Does Nathan have to choose between believing in God and science? <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. That's our episode on uh, faith and the relationship of science and faith. And uh, yeah, there's a real prominent struggle that you see in our um, character representative Gen Z struggle from one of our students that was interviewed, that they feel intimidated even to go off to college and become a scientist because of the cultural mantra of that there is a you know, there's a battle going on between science and faith. And so Nathan works through this, uh, our character Nathan works through this, telling students that, you know, Christianity provides this very solid philosophical foundation for 
the exploration of science, you know, for the scientific method and for, and, and a lot of our past, you know, a lot of the past work in science has been done by faithful, committed, intelligent Christians. And so there's this opening up their eyes to this is sort of becoming a cultural myth that science and faith are at odds when they are definitely not. Yeah, it's really, really helpful. All right. If you haven't checked it out um, yet, darkroomfaith.com is a wonderful, wonderful video series. Um, It invites us into the conversations that uh, younger generations are having today. Uh, it, it, It sort of demonstrates to us how to have those conversations, and I think really gives us um, a tool to use, you know, if we wanted to start a conversation with uh, with a young person today. Uh, thank you, Mary Jo, for your work in that as well. You guys can visit with Mary Jo online, MaryJoSharp.com. She's on Facebook at Confident Christianity. You can check her out on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube as well. Mary Jo, as always, thank you so much for joining us on Mornings with Carmen. Hey, it's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. That's uh, that's Mary Jo Sharp. You ought to check out what she's doing, MaryJoSharp.com. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge, and we'll be right back. All righty, we've uh, preserved a few minutes here at the bottom of the hour to check in on things on the text line and chat about some stuff. So um, Mary Jo said, one of the things that she said, that her rejection of the church was, um, I mean, she takes responsibility for her own sort of pharisaicalism in terms of having this standard of discipleship or this expectation of others um, who claim to be disciples of Jesus Christ and gather together at a place called the church, right? So she enters the church and she doesn't see there, she doesn't experience there um, the the reality of kumbaya discipleship that, you know, maybe she was led to believe she would find. Uh, and so what do you find when you go to church? And what do other people find when they enter into the space that, um, you know, that you call church? And how does that bear out on today's Growing Your Faith verse of the day? Like, this is where we started, was in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. And we spent some time focusing on the the beginning of um, of this passage. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works, because I think that's really good. Like, let us think about that. How today are you going to motivate others to acts of love and good works? Well, we're going to do it by doing it. We are going to motivate one another to acts of love and good works by, well, acts of love and good works. Like, that's actually how it works. One begets the other. Um, and then the second part of this, these verses um, say, and let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. So have you neglected meeting together? Have you neglected actually being present with other Christians in the context of communal worship? And have you done so? Have you neglected being uh, in the company, uh, meeting together with other Christians, because you've had an expectation that the church would be a place where um, sinless people would gather? Because that's actually the opposite of who's there. The church is the place where people who recognize that they are sinners gather um, to enter into Um, a time of worship and glorification of God 
worship is actually not about us. It's about God. It's about giving God his due. Worthship is where the word worship comes from. You're giving God his worthship. It's not about what you're going to get out of it. It's about what you're going to give while you're there. It's a sacrifice of praise. And so um, don't neglect meeting together. That's one of the encouragements of today's Growing Your Faith verse. And if you've never signed up to receive the Growing Your Faith verse of the day in your in your inbox, I encourage you to go to MyFaithRadio.com and do that. Lots of other good, uh, great resources available for you as well. If you've never gotten a welcome pack, if you're new to Faith Radio, maybe you're listening on the Faith Radio app and you say, hey, I would actually like to know more about this ministry, the, the ministry that's behind this app, the ministry that um, is behind this show and this show host. Well, you can find all of that at MyFaithRadio.com. There's links there to Northwestern Media, of which we are a part, and the University of Northwestern St. Paul, of which we are an outreach. And so encourage you to, to check that out today. Um, oh, and definitely sign up for our this big summer bundle book giveaway, like bundle up for summer, um, because we've got books to give away and we'd like you to be the person who receives them. So go do that as well. Uh, let's see. Uh, one thing that is going to be safe to watch this weekend. I know you know that Adam Holtz is going to come next from Focus on the Families Plugged In, and we're going to talk about all the stuff that people might watch this weekend. I have something that's totally safe to watch this weekend. There are going to be two meteor showers lighting up the night sky this weekend. Um, and so there you go. That's a chance to catch a beautiful sight this weekend. Real beauty, um, real splendor, real God stuff. So there you go. Um, something safe to watch this weekend. You can check out where those meteor showers are going to be in view and of what hours of the day. And then here was a note that I received through one of my news aggregators this morning. Um, fall is officially two months away from today. I don't really know how they figured that out. But anyway, it is. Fall is only two months away. So apparently all of the pumpkin spice latte business is rolling forward. Um, that also means that school's about to, to, to restart. Um, and so, you know, I don't know about you, but we are fully into uh, return to school mode, back to school mode where I live, which means that I am getting together a group to to start a moms in prayer group for the schools in my community. What are you doing to engage with schools in your community in anticipation of starting back this fall? Maybe you don't need to buy school supplies anymore. Maybe you don't have people in that age group. Trust me when I tell you there's lots of kids who need school supplies whose families can't afford them. So definitely some tangible ways to engage. Um, Hershey says this about the coming of fall. I feel like everybody, this is like my PSA for the day. Hershey, you know, they're the people that make things like the Hershey's Kiss and Hershey's Chocolate Bars. Yeah, they're not going to be able to meet consumer demand this Halloween due to manufacturing and supply chain issues. I don't know. That seemed like an important PSA for today. All right, we got another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.